0: Welcome to the Round Six Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories. Hosted by the Round Six Gearheads Brian Stubsky, Brad King, Alex Welsh, and Eric Hibbs. Joining the Gearheads in episode 21 from Bio Customs and the author of the Air Suspension Design book. Max Fish. Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Eric. And joining us tonight is a guy who... Effectively, if you want if you know him, uh, you know him kind of as being the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the two link, uh, oh. Mr. Oh. Max Fish. Ouch.
1: Wow! That's oh. <laughs> no, wow. right, like straight to the
0: jugular.
2: I got gotcha, I got gotcha.
0: Oh come on! That was well, good. that's I mean, all we
2: have tonight, folks. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Come <laughs> yeah. <on. laughs> yeah. Neil and deGrasse Tyson out. killed off Pluto as a planet. Max <laughs> is known for his embracing of well yeah not so much. Okay. Let's let that go. Two links will not be spoken of for the rest of the episode.
1: <laughs> I mean we he can we can skim over it real quick if anybody cares, but you know I'm I'm happy to not.
2: So either way I think you're pretty sick of talking about two links, aren't you? Yeah.
0: I think right. there's enough out there right now where if you can't understand yeah the I guess, the disdain for the whole two-link conversation. Just go look it up. I never want to be that guy, but hey, give give that one a quick Google. Yeah, that's like the Walmart
1: of suspension designs. Nobody's going to go home bragging about where they got it.
0: <laughs> I was going to say it's the chlamydia of suspension designs.
1: <laughs> well, you might brag about where you got chlamydia. Well, the, it depends. Unless that's it a got good peed point.
0: on by, like, a koala bear.
1: No, I mean, it's... <laughs> Just some, you know, in some situations, you might brag about where you got chlamydia. I'm not, you know, it's just a thing. No, we, then, moving on. Before moving we on. go
0: any further, though, I, I would like to know if there's, if one of our listeners out there has has contracted chlamydia and you're proud of it, please write to us. I, yeah, I, that I've, I've that got right to hear story.
2: Write
0: to Brian. <laughs> the rest of us will want to know. Yeah, well, no, no, no. Write to Brian. Send pictures to Eric.
2: So... <laughs> <laughs> I, because we all know I can't read, so that's yeah.
0: <laughs> it's gonna work out great. Draw pictures,
2: stick figures, <laughs> fine.
0: Oh, I'm gonna need a purple colored pencil. Um, <laughs> that's a memory sir, <laughs> from that thing in high school. Anyway, uh how are you tonight, sir? How are you doing, man? Ah uh you know, aside from a few technical issues, having to uh have the
1: interview at a friend's house and borrowing a mouse because apparently my uh laptop thing doesn't work, I'm doing pretty glorious and yourselves
0: we wow. are wow. wonderful, man I'm just happy to have you in a, i wish our audience could see the massive and it, it it's a wonderful pile of pillows behind you
1: it's it's borrowed i can't take can't take full credit for the pile of pillows.
0: It is, uh, this has really become an episode of like, uh, what is it? HD TV. HD. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a oh. max fish TV. M F TV. Oh, it sounds pretty dirty. We're going to hey. roll with that. Pimp this house. Pimp this house. <laughs> <laughs> if I could not
1: be associated with pimp this house, that'd be kind of cool.
0: <laughs> Too
1: late. That's done. Damn. Damn.
0: <laughs> well, again, though, what, what if what if it was you know what if it's a house you're proud of? You know, you could have you know on this, on this week we're gonna create the chlamydia house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, being you know, I got a, a house with
1: multiple rooms and I'm single, so I've got rooms that are all different themed. I could always just pick the next room that I remodel to be the chlamydia room.
0: I say go for it. And make sure you put a sign out in front of that. This way, if you ever bring someone home and she's like, "Hey, what's in here?" Go <laughs> just wink.
1: <laughs> yeah that's the that's the no-go room that's yeah i might have you to have uh to see my pleasure room <laughs> <laughs> open it up and it's just chlamydia that's
2: <laughs> we already got a bedazzled pillow so that'll work just fine in there
1: hey that's not that's not mine that's borrowed
2: take it with you man
1: <laughs> it's on loan from the tim
0: collection <laughs> <laughs> So let me ask you, I mean, you are, uh, this is, oh my God, we, we could go so many places on this episode. You really are a Renaissance man in the truest sense of the word. I mean, you do everything, man. You are artistic. You, you are one of the most well-read people that I know. I enjoy conversing with you. I mean, if this becomes one of our conversations, I apologize ahead to anybody listening in because good, good luck keeping up.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, uh. Our conversations do go a little off the rails, but it's always nice to, uh, you know, get out of the normal life of how weather and sports are going and talk about, oh, God, whatever it is that Brian and I decide to digress our conversations into.
0: We'll we'll Tarantino the hell out of this. We're going to start from present and we're going to move backward in time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You know, so wherever you feel most comfortable. During your conception, cutting the conversation off is where we'll stop this one tonight.
1: <laughs> I don't know a lot about the park area where my parents maybe drove the car to conceive, so I'm not going to be able to add a little bit of any information on that one. But
0: oh, it's okay. I've, I've got there. the video. We're good.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, If you could just keep that to yourself, that'd be super cool.
0: You'd be surprised at what you can find at the lone remaining blockbuster.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> was on eight mm
3: <laughs>
1: Probably. Uh, <fated>. um, <clears throat> so, are you asking like, what am I working on right now?
0: In, in a roundabout way, yeah, that would be the short, <laughs> definitely the short way to ask it. What are you working on now?
1: How many irons are in the fire, and what kind of uh, things are on those irons? Yes. Well, uh, the the uh, the difficult s- subject is the the golf cart stuff that I developed last year. And I went sideways. So I'm still in the the process of repairing my life from shifting, you know, from uh, developing a business that was supposed to be kind of self-contained so that I could chase uh, the books, which the books um, stuff, which we can get into in a little bit. But uh, me writing the books was going to be my my quote unquote retirement where, you know, I can't work with my hands my entire life and still hope to use my hands to ride motorcycles or bicycles or the other things that I enjoy because then I just go in the house at the end of the day crying that my hands hurt from using them my entire life. So, um, so it'd be really nice to, to teach, <clears throat> use the books as a, you know, as a jumping off point to get into more teaching one-on-one stuff, consultations, that sort of thing. So I was really open to put a business in place that was really profitable. Um, of course I've got the shop, uh, that, you know, keeps itself going, but we're more like starving artist types where it's, it's all boutique work. So it's, it's hard to be profitable, but we're all having a, we're making a comfortable living, enjoying what we do, but, um, it's not the kind of profitable that, you know, a more mainstream type of business would be. So I was hoping to create this business. It didn't work out. So I'm trying to shift gears back, take, you know, you know, take care of my losses and kind of regain where I was one year ago. So I can dive back into the book And uh, get her finished up here in the next couple months hopefully because I've got a huge amount of people that I had no idea where I I, I didn't know how many people were clamoring for the information that the book is um, providing so kind of trying to shift all those gears and in the meantime um, also you know keeping my my art hobby going to hopefully one day get to where I can use it as a supplement to my income and uh, enjoy my life there and, um, you know, getting pretty heavily into riding motorcycles, street motorcycles. I grew up in the dirt, so i not getting into the street and uh, try and reach out and connect with a new friend every couple of days or, you know, with a different friend every day, see how they're doing, just check on everybody and just kind of never have a moment to take a breather and go, you know what, I'm bored right now. I don't have those days.
0: <laughs> You've been writing what is going to amount to be like the book on air suspension design. And yeah. You're obviously you're the dude to write this book. Um thank you. Oh, you know, definitely. And I I I mean that with every fiber of my being. You you obviously you, you understand the stuff. You you have this down ear. You're one of those guys you can engineer the hell out of it. You understand the science behind it and you really concentrate on the part of air suspension that would seem the most logical but seems completely forgotten. You concentrate on the drivability of a vehicle with Air Ride. yeah. And for so long it became kind of like just this thing where it was all about profiling. It was, you know, that whole stance thing. That's all anybody cared about. Can you drop this car down and set it on the frame? You took yeah. it that extra level and said, okay, look it, um the point of a car is to drive it or truck, it, you know, whatever you got. Yeah. And you've taken it to the point where you said, hey, look it, um, you guys seem to have forgotten the most important part it actually has to get down the street and
2: comfortably and home.
0: Yeah. And it's it's frightening because I mean, for years there were so many vehicles out there where you would see guys hanging on with that death grip to the wheel and and trying to fight the thing home. So obviously, I mean, there, there was obviously a need for this book out there, but what got you to the point to decide you were going to sit down and put this knowledge on paper and try to, you know, assist your fellow man, which again, that that's, that's a huge step too. Cause I mean, for you, this is a labor of love here. I am telling you yeah. about your book. That's great. <laughs> Way to interview. <laughs> yeah. Tell and me more. You say, here are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So what got you to the point where you finally said, look at this has to be done. This has to be written.
1: It actually, it kind of came about, um, Really slowly. I had no intention of actually doing a book. Uh, you know, I wrote for most of the major truck publications, primarily at mini truck. but even before mini truck I think what was our street source for the, you know, the mini truck guys street source had given me my own little Ask Max section where I was able to, you know, just one on one interact with people, answer their questions um, and just a direct, like not opinionated way, but just here's the math that's associated with this. Um, and then, um, when I got, um, I started writing for mini truck in and they brought me on doing tech. They said, okay, one week where you get to write or one month you get to write tech one month you get to write editorial. And then Mike got, uh, Mike Alexander was the editor at the time. Um, you guys, uh, did the thing with him two months, uh, two weeks ago, did a podcast with him mm-hmm. and, uh, he brought me on and he had, uh, he got so much positive stuff about my, uh, editorial that he's had me stop writing tech and just continue writing editorial, which was a lot of fun, but there were still tech questions coming in. Um, and, uh, I think sport truck and of course I had, you know, friends in all the different, uh, truck mags. So they all asked me to write tech for them. But the thing is, is the stuff gets lost. The magazine gets thrown on the shelf and ends up on the back of a toilet or something like that. And, and, um, it's so easy to, Get lots. I mean, sure, it might be there, but it's hard to find. Um, So I started writing a little bit of tech through my Facebook page. You got a bunch of people that were following me through there, and and um, one day a tattoo artist I follow was a friend of the family's, and um, she was selling copies of her sketchbook. And I thought that kind of go pretty cool. What if I sold just a quick little sketchbook type of thing, as I put air quotes over sketchbook of my basic suspension design concepts that people could just use as a, as a kind of a go-to rule book and immediately had a ton of people involved, uh, interested. And so I, I did the little bit of homework or what it was going to cost to, to take this stuff up to uh, like Kinko's or, you know, uh, staples or something like that and have them just print it off and staple it. And by the time You know, by the end of the month, I realized there's 500 people that wanted one of these little uh, stapled together sketchbooks. And um, so I was like, well, damn, Okay, I better look for somebody who does it in a higher quantity. And then by the time I found a better higher quantity thing, now there's a couple thousand people that are interested, at which point now I'm turning this little quick note thing into a bigger book into a bigger book and then it started getting so prolific that i'm getting people from across the world from different countries that are interested in the book no longer is this for the people that are following my work and are you know fans for lack of a better description this is now people that are just clamoring for information because it doesn't exist anywhere nobody nobody makes a book for how to design stock suspension geometry every book out there is about racing suspension geometry who's who's modifying their stock suspension to be more stock so (laughs) um, so it's kind of something that I started to realize like holy crap this is this is a real thing people really want this It doesn't exist in in this sense of how do I make a vehicle just drive normal again Um, so it just kind of turned into a thing and and now I'm pulling my hair out and I'm overwhelmed because I could have apologized to my small fan base. And now I'm try, trying to apologize to it's almost a 200,000 people on that account now. I'm like, Oh, I don't even know how to apologize that the book's taking as long as it is to 200,000 people that doesn't, I just can't send out an apology that big. So, um, you know, it's absolutely hundred percent of my brain. I need to get it done. It's you know top of my list, but I, you know, life doing life things, uh, it's just kind of taken the, back seat at the moment to me trying to get back to being able to pay my bills on a monthly basis and uh, feed my animals and whatnot. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's what kind of led me to this point. And it's, you know, the the, the time that it's taken to, to get to the stage the and asking the questions and posting things online has helped me really shape the book to be that go-to piece of information rather than just if I just piped up and said, "Oh yeah, you guys should run you know run your shock at a two to one motion ratio well that's that's kind of a general rule of thumb. Now I have to address it. I can't just put out a basic rule of thumb and say like yeah, you guys will figure it out. No, now I have to actually start from the beginning and and teach what motion ratio means and and explain why a different shock would need more or less it's It's become this huge thing that I never expected it to be, but I'm totally ready like I can do it I just wasn't expecting that you know
2: right well, and your your writing style is neat because it teaches you're teaching geometry to most of us who don't necessarily understand geometry yeah but when you but when you explain it it makes sense i mean that's right. that alone should be a huge plug for the book is that it's it's these complicated concepts are explained in a manner where you know, we can look at it and go, "Oh shit, I can do that." Yeah, that's now, what I'm. How well something. I do it is, you know, in question. But
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that because that's exactly what I'm shooting for. I don't want it to be a clinical because a clinical book's not fun. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, the Carol Smith series, the Tune to Win and Tune to Engineer series, and right you know, I think there's four books or five books in that um, in that series, and I enjoyed the way that he wrote it because it was almost like. We're just having a consultation. He's sitting there telling us about it rather than it being super clinical and um, dry and takes the fun out of it. So I'm you know, trying to make it to where it's it's nice to actually want to learn rather than mind-numbing because you don't understand what's even being said.
0: Well, I would almost like to see this become something bigger unto itself. So and here I'm giving you, you know, hey, since you don't have enough on your plate – <laughs> into like while
2: you're at I, it I, I yeah. really think
0: I think the way you teach things because I always learned something from you and I know you and I have said that we've had a lot of really good technical talks on goofy stuff um yeah. it's just funny for me you know coming from kind of an engineering background where to talk to someone like you if I would have had a professor like you in school, I think I would have done much better in life You. <laughs> You really, you you have a total understanding. You have a love for the core concept. And that's, that's something that really lacks. Like a lot of people, oh, I'm passionate about this. Well, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about the fact that I can get up in the morning and I get a paycheck for it. You come at it from that whole different aspect where it's like, you're passionate about it because you want people to understand it. I I think that's how you and I kind of connected at the beginning where it's like, we just, we get into people who, if you really get something that's exciting because when somebody gets it, you're jazzed about it. You can talk about it for days. And again, I just think that what you're doing is a really great service for people. And the fact that you're explaining something that really is kind of a dark science for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, in the world, yeah, there's guys who can tune the hell out of a carburetor. That's a whole black science unto itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really is.
0: And a lot of guys miss it, and even at the highest end, you know, you got guys that are building you know million plus dollar cars. There's problems with these cars. You watch these things tool around, and you're watching them. You know, there's bump steer issues and goofy stuff where you can look at the suspension when you see one of these cars going together. And I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm just saying there are things that kind of get overlooked, where it becomes like form over function for a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. I've I, been good. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just no, wanted—I I was going to segue that into something else, but I want to hear your thoughts first. I'm sorry. Man.
1: Oh, I—I I was just going to say I get—I get called in occasionally to do a little bit of consulting with higher-end shops where they—they they get, uh, you know, kind of built into a corner. Steering is one of the weirdest concepts. I've never been able to explain the the full steering concept from all three dimensions to anybody and have them go, "Oh, well, damn, I get it now." There's so many complexities that go into it with Ackerman and and uh you know bump steer and 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 as we go into all of the different things um, but i've been called in and they go this thing drives really funny on the street the alignment guy can't do anything with it can you fix it and uh you know we'll go okay we need to move this here and we'll move this here let's get this repaired and you know it because they they can build this beautiful car but it, when it comes down to like a couple of the what i consider fundamental things it's missed but that's kind of the problem is they're not while I consider it fundamental, it's not fundamental in the rest of the industry because, again, there's nobody out there teaching the baseline stuff to begin with. They're just teaching racing stuff, and it doesn't always it doesn't always translate.
0: Exactly. So this is it's kind of a weird thought, and I don't want to stay too long in the whole mini truck side, but it's where a lot of the stuff stems from. Like yeah. when actually, like. As far as like gilding something, you know that became kind of the norm for a while, especially like late '90s, early 2000s, where the busier something was, the cooler it was. Mm, mm-hmm. So you had gold devices, <laughs> uh, exactly. Like bizarre-looking arms that you know. I remember looking at, and you saw a lot of it in the off-road world, especially where yeah. it was like the more complex, apparently, the cooler it was. Yeah, you know, it, so. And design and engineering are always one of the things where the simpler it is, the more beautiful it is. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, and I always see that with a lot of, especially your designs when you get into things like your spindles, man, God, do what seeing your stuff get built like that. I always just kind of sit there and go, Oh, Max is dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: I, um, the off-road guy that I, I kind of, Got a lot of uh, my inspiration from was a guy named Dave Clark, who apprenticed under Nye Frank. If you guys know who Nye Frank oh, yeah. is, yep. um, right. so I had the uh, the pleasure of getting to know Dave Clark pretty well, and you know Nye had some really avant garde ideas which are cool. I mean avant garde is what pushes the envelope because if everybody just sticks with whatever the uh, status quo is, then of course no one's pushing the envelope. Um, but Dave's build style was um, a little odd for the off-road world. Like you were saying, a lot of it was super crazy. And Dave's just straightforward. I like this. I like this. I don't like a ton of travel. I want it to handle good. And so I, I took a lot of inspiration from him. Um, and he came over and looked at one of my off-road trucks I built early on, a small truck. But he goes, I see a lot of uh, a lot of my style, a lot of inspiration in that. I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, but there's there's only a couple ways to skin a cat, you know? It was nicely done. And so it was just, uh, you know, this is one of the guys I look up to one of my, what I would consider a mentor in that, in that sense, um, you know, coming over and giving me the high five for copying him. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but the reality is, is it works. Simple works. If you know what you're doing, if you want to go crazy, go crazy. I'll support you. I'll help you go crazy, but let's make sure the fundamentals are set up, right. Going crazy just so it can look crazy and not making sure that that, Wheel doesn't fall off in the meantime is is silly.
0: (laughs) Right, getting to this this point where obviously you you have the knowledge and the experience to play with this kind of stuff. So growing up, how do you make the jump from? Well, heck, what were you like as a kid? Let's get it. Let's get (laughs) into that, man. Let's 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 dive way deep. Let's Um, learn about Max as a kid.
1: I uh, I remember. My mom had a, uh, a harness, you know, cause I was born in the seventies. So my mom actually had a harness for me because I was a, a bit of a yard sale, um, <laughs> of a kid. So, uh, she said she only used it a couple times. I called her out on it the other day and she laughed and she says, Oh yeah, I only used that a couple times, but well, you were a bit of a handful. I was the one that was into everything. Um, and, but it was like I came by it my- by it honest, my dad's hobby list is enormous, and I just thought it was normal how would i how would I know any different you your your reality is right so I thought it was normal to build your own house to you know buy my dad would never buy a TV. t v he'd buy a Zenith Heath kit. I don't know if you guys remember the Heath kit stuff, oh sure, wow. Yeah. My dad would never buy anything normal. It was always a heat kit. He'd come home and he was a computer repair tech after he was a, he was a mechanic first, if I remember correctly. And then he got into construction and then he went to computer data Institute. I believe it was during the computer boom, where everybody was like using computers and getting away from cash registers. And so he was a computer repair tech and, um, and you know, we got into photography and business and telecommunications. I don't know anybody that's got the amount of degrees this guy has, but he still doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was just that was just my normal. So I buy I bought a dirt bike in a box to where the transmission was blown apart, and it was just all separate gears on a couple of cross shafts. Uh, all just in a box and I bought a manual and my dad goes, here you go. You know, I think it was 12 or 13 and he shows me, you know, here's the basics of the manual. Go for it. Call me if you got any issues. Um, You know, it was never like, here, let me do this for you. So it was, I was groomed to do this from moment one. Um, I had, I think two Volkswagen bugs by the time I was 14 and grew, I grew up in a really, really small town with less than 4,000 people in it. So I could drive my cars to my friend's house at 14 um, and, uh, just that, that was my reality. I, I maintained all my friends bicycles. I, you know, relaced wheels at like 12 years old or something on, on all my bicycles and race BMX and, and just anything models, uh, I designed my own bicycle line back in the day in, in high school. Uh, it was just all of the things that I kind of did as a kid. All just inadvertently groomed me to be doing exactly what I'm doing today. I don't see how I could have shifted what I'm doing at all because none of it led me to anywhere
0: else.
2: That's
0: Dude. amazing. So you got to wonder if there's an alternate dimension you, you know, it's like you know, you, you your big time of the year is right around tax time. You know, accountant max. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, you know, I think I think the uh, the less bohemian max would probably be a psychiatrist because I really enjoy human psychology. But I enjoy human psychology for people who are uh, interested in bettering themselves, not people who just want to pay me so they can bitch at me and tell me about how bad their life is, you know? So I'm not sure that it would go over well, but maybe in a different life. (laughs)
0: Let me ask you, so now, okay, you you get into high school, you're you're, you're already designing a bike line and things like that. So when you were in high school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do or Nothing. were you just kind of open? You were like, well, I'm going to try out, you know, either, you know, community college or university or a trade school or something. Or did you just kind of, let's say post-graduation from high school, what's Max's first step?
1: <laughs> uh, get out of Anza. <laughs>
0: Escape from not- Anza.
1: Not a lot of things available to grow with when you're in a town of less than four thousand people. Um, so my uh, my parents went through a divorce, and my dad and I we moved down to Hemet. My dad at the time he he owned a uh, cabinet shop, and I worked worked with him. Um, and I uh, never I you know I told my dad I want to be a mechanic, and my dad goes, you don't want to be a mechanic. And my mom wanted me to be the lawyer or the doctor because I was, you know, I was the book smart kid. All of my siblings were all smart kids, but I was like the one. I was supposed to be something, some sort of millionaire of some sort chasing a thing, but it was never, never in my deal. I, I'm, I've i always been way too bohemian for that idea. So um, I just kind of wandered around. I didn't have a lot of drive. Not a lot of things excited me. Cars did, of course, but it was just whatever. So I worked for my dad pretty low key. Um, and they closed the business down. I think my next job was started at Target as a stalker, uh, a guy in the back who stocks shelves, not somebody who stares at hot women down aisleways or anything. Like that. They, don't, <laughs> they didn't have a position for that. Otherwise I would have you definitely missing out. out.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, so you were aspiring. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, they showed me the security areas where I could have been a professional stalker, <laughs> but they didn't have like any openings yet. Um, <laughs> So, I, I just, car things were just a hobby. But didn't, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, there was a guy who, so locally here in Hemet is, uh, Larry Miner had a racing team. I believe he was the Cruz Pedregon McDonald's car back in the uh, early, mid-90s.
2: Larry Miner was around for a long time, yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, Larry Miner is a, in, in Hemet, was a major, you know, fundamental guy. Well, the whole Miner family, and then even up in Anza, there's a lot of, Minor interaction, uh, you know, with fields and all kinds of crazy stuff. So he's always been this like little background thing in my life. And then Minor was friends with, I want to say Nelson Lingo. That may not sound right, but there was a gentleman here in town who also had a sand drag team. And he had a top, fuel car, a top fuel engine out of one of Miner's cars, and he ran sand drags. Uh, a lot of people don't know sand drag racing was um, started here in San Jacinto in the, uh, the riverbed. I believe Larry Miner was one of the first guys to start that kind of thing up, and it became a lot more prolific, of course. But So the, um, the gentleman offered me, he had a construction company, offered me a job on his construction company and said I could be um, on his race team and blah, 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 and it just felt wrong. I don't know why it just felt wrong. So I said, no, um, I just kept working at target and, uh, which seems really, really weird in hindsight, but just something in my body said, this doesn't feel right. Don't do it. So, um, and I'm glad I didn't cause I never would have started my shop. I probably would have got sucked into some weird thing where I just was chasing around drugs or something. I don't know what would, what would have happened being on some weird race team. Um, and a construction worker during the day. Not anything <laughs> Not anything bad about construction workers, but, you know, it's just like there's this, this weird thing where you just end up working your entire life, being a construction worker during the week, and then chasing around a race team on the weekends. And it just felt wrong to me. So I said no. And then um, I got a, a shop with a couple friends so that we could work on our Volkswagens. And then a couple years go by, the friends leave and then leave me hanging with the shop by myself, and then... Um, a buddy of mine that I'd known for a while, he goes, oh, I'm looking for a shop too. So we became just shop partners, and then it turned into a business. We just started doing a little here, little there, and eventually just went, hey, let's start our business. So we both quit our jobs where we're making a lot of money for a young 20-year-old kid. I was almost $4,000 a month, and he was just, just under that. And we quit to make about $700 a month doing our own thing.
2: Brilliant. Yeah. Why not? Yeah,
1: so um, you know, I quit. A, uh, I got a job at a stereo shop, and it's the only thing I'm actually certified in is mobile electronics, So, <laughs> I,
2: uh,
1: and, and I try to keep that a secret, so if uh, you could bleep over that, um, so people don't come <laughs> to me and ask me about wiring issues on their car.
0: I had a yeah, million questions for you about an Orion <laughs> amp that I was going to hook up. Um.
1: <laughs> an old red HCCA 2100? Of course. Those are the best.
2: I've still got some paper cone 10 sitting in the garage waiting to go in a Mazda or a Datsun or something one day.
1: Nice. That's so rad. Uh, but yeah, and then the shop just took off for there. A couple of years later, my business partner got a divorce and um, so he decided to change careers and left me to run the business on my own and that's kind of where that all went. So I'm not sure how far we segued from the original question, but it uh, it feels like we're way off base now. So
0: no, that sounds about that's right. That's awesome. Man. I can't thank you for sh- enough for sharing that, man. That's. Cause I wanna. I wanted to dig into you know what makes what makes Max Fish, Max Fish. That'd be weird. It'd be weird if I asked you what makes Max Fish. You know, Shirley Temple. That'd be the weirdest question ever. He'd be like, well,
2: <laughs> a <laughs> bottle of booze and
1: you know. <clears throat>
3: The booze is later
2: on in
1: life. I became an alcoholic on purpose about four years ago.
0: We are we were just talking about that. <laughs> yeah. How weird it, was... it all comes full circle. So well, let's go back. You obviously talked about having some VWs and things like that. What was yeah. your first car? I believe it was
1: a 64 VW Bug. It was mostly Bugs in the beginning. I really cut my teeth on on cars and Volkswagens. It was a 64 Bug that I did... Like I said, I think it was fourteen. I did um, some work for a friend's mom. They were doing some construction work, and they just needed extra help. And they said, "Hey, if you come help us for a week, I'll give you this car." Done. So,
3: awesome.
1: yeah, and uh, you know, I, I lived on down about a mile long dirt road. So it was lowered. Um, like the idiot that I am, you know, I lowered it down. <laughs> driving, I mean, it was. If you guys went down there, you would shake your head and go, "Why would you lower a car? Because it pretty much wouldn't get out of out of our driveway." Uh, you know, in certain certain areas, I had to have certain spots where I drove up because it was way down a dirt road, and not just a nice dirt road like Anza. Like I said, not many people live there, so rains would trash the road. And here I'm driving around with this bug that's only a couple inches off the ground, like an idiot. But um, didn't yeah, we big.
2: all? Didn't we all do that though? I don't know. I wasn't I there. <laughs> well, Brad and Alex always have liked their shit on the ground, and so have oh, I. You know? my oh, my stuff's yeah. always on the ground. Yeah. But you live
1: down a mile-long dirt road? That's the part mm-hmm. I just can't get through my brain. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I had dirt bikes and motorcy- or and uh, BMX bikes to make up for the time when I couldn't get out with the, with the car, I guess. Well,
0: that seems to be <laughs> a, a really that, – that's a recurring theme with anyone to talk to in this whole industry or hobby, or however you want to look at this thing, everybody starts with BMX bikes, mm-hmm. or skateboards, take your pick, and the next logical move is you either do a VW, or some form of a mini truck, those are yeah. like the gateways mm-hmm. in, Yeah. and it's funny, because it's always that same path, and no matter what somebody's into, you can track it right back to that point, and it's so weird. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's funny that they're both the like the the affordable entry level car, I guess, for some weird reason. But today, only Volkswagens are worth a ton of money, and uh, trucks aren't.
0: Getting into that, like you built, you built some cars over the years that man really kind of border on that line of paying the utmost respect to that kind of a, a theme where you know it's it's. Traditionally styled, but it still breaks the mold, and mm-hmm. it becomes memorable on its own. You know, I mean, at some point, I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, like Jerry's Merc like that. Yeah, that's the kind of car that really embodies everything that was done right back in the day, but has this totally different timeless spin to it. I mean, you could look at that car, and I don't go back, and I don't think you can really look at Jerry's Merc and say, "Oh, that car there." That's a you know that that's a 2012 build. You're never gonna do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I kind of on purposely try and build to make cars a little more timeless. I mean, the 20 inch wheels would be probably the wheels, and maybe the interior would be the only thing that would date it. Not horribly. It wouldn't be like you know pinpointing something that's got painted yellow bumpers and (laughs) and interior (laughs) or something. But you know it's gonna be in a general realm, obviously, but. And, you know, in 50 years, if he decides, you know what, I want to kind of update this, he'd just have to change the interior and change the wheels a little bit. The rest of the car is still going to be cool in 50 years because I didn't put yeah. a bunch of billet, whatever everything is or any of the, what's the new, the new 3d printing style where it looks like an organic thing. Uh,
0: oh God. Yeah. Or you could do that with everything and suddenly everything is made of, you know, instead of going with. Oh, it's got great front fenders on it. Oh, no, no, those aren't even factory steel. Those were, we hand-built those and then molded them and made them out of Kevlar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess there's a time and a place for that. I don't know. We kind of got into this and just really got my brain going. I thought, yeah. you have, there's a certain style, and it's definitely, it's a Mac style. It's unique. you. can Thank look you. at something you've done. You're welcome. I, and it, I love that about your stuff. Because some people go an entire career and never find that niche, you know, mm-hmm. you never find the thing that just makes it yours. So, where does your inspiration come from? What, man, I mean, this is—I know it's—it's it's tough to ask an artist this because sometimes you don't even know. I mean, it just happens organically. But like, did anything in particular? Is there a a conscious point when you started to develop, for lack of a better word, your own aesthetic? And I know that word gets overused these days, but but what else? Yeah. What are we going to replace things? that word with?
1: Yeah. Um. You know, if if you'd asked me that question a couple of years ago, I probably would not have any idea how to answer it. Um. But the the reality is, is the one thing in my brain that just doesn't function is I can't I can't process chaos. I can't come up with a pile of ideas and and pour pour them into one mold and go there. It is. That's awesome. My my superhero strength is the ability to like BASF back in the 90s where they said we don't make the car. We make the car better. Um, That's that's more of my approach is is I like the idea of let's take the lines on that car and refine them. Let's clean them up. Let's make them really clean and sharp. Let's do a solid color paint job with some really heavy effect in the paint or, um, you know, machine our own wheels like we did on the Merc and just make this where it's inspired by very much heavily inspired by what it's supposed to be but let's just slightly modernize it because we have the ability to do that but only to an extent because i don't like using computers and stuff to do everything so i can only modernize it to the stage that i have i don't have scenes and and 3d printers and stuff so it's um it kind of forces me into this little narrow window of that is how modern my cars are and my designs, my motorcycles and all that stuff. They're all just kind of limited to this thing where I can refine the lines, but I can't create a new, a a new thing on its own because my brain just simply doesn't work that way. So it just kind of created itself really. And I like it. So it's, I'm glad that it is what it is. (laughs) So it could be worse. (laughs) I'm pretty honest with myself. If I put something together, I go, well, that's just shitty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an easy, that's, that's an easy rut to fall into. And obviously, having to work on a car, you know, that had a real traditional kind of a bent to it. Do you have a favorite, this is another tough question. Ask a car guy. Do you have any favorite traditional style customs, like ones from the golden era?
1: Yeah, Cadzilla. Right That's, on. Yeah, Cadzilla is like my go-to pinnacle. The only thing I look at Cadzilla and go, "What the hell is that moon ice tank in the front grill for?" <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Other than
1: that, the rest of the car is gorgeous.
2: It was
0: free. It was One free. Day,
2: that was
3: a billy touch. Probably, I
0: don't know. One day I would <laughs> love to ask that question. I'd say, you know, of all the things on that car. That is the one thing. I remember as a kid seeing that, that issue like of Hot Rod magazine and going, oh, this car is awesome. Why? Yeah. <laughs> what is that?
3: You know, every car that Gibbons has, though, he has that one little touch on it. And I think that's his addition to that car. Sure. Yeah. You know, he's always got some quirky thing on there, like a helicopter spotlight or something weird. Okay. And I think that yeah. was that was the thing on that one.
1: Yeah, it certainly doesn't ruin the car for me because it's still no. absolutely my yeah, pinnacle. That, but yeah, that tells you how good
3: thing. the car is. You could throw a moon yeah. tank in the front of a custom and it still looks great. <laughs> in
2: Even the grille. That yeah, that's <laughs> saying something. If that car was ever duplicated, you'd have to put it, that in. It's just, it's iconic at this point. It's not right, but it's
0: iconic. <laughs> oh, but it is right on that car. That car without it, if you saw that car minus the moon tank, you'd be like, well. But, you know. It needs something, yeah. Exactly, and I think it's a hell of a car to choose, though. Jeez Louise.
1: Yeah, thank you. But that's, you know, obviously the Merc, Merc pretty heavily follows that same style, but in with a Mercury instead of a Cadillac, I so didn't see Ned as a baseline, you know? Um, I didn't do that on purpose. It's just when it was done or got close to done, Jerry had pointed it out to me, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, can't be mad about it. Subconsciously, we're all inspired by the things we see, so...
0: I remember I remember seeing the first pictures, I don't know if it was you or Jerry that showed them to me when you just had the roof kind of mocked up. And I remember in my head going, man, it, it's almost Cadzilla esque, but it works so perfect on that mark because it's not it didn't just take like a, a, you know, a Sedanette type, you know, fastback roof and try to melt meld it to that car. You just kind of wanted uh. to kept that real the a swoopy for lack of a better word, two door sedan style yeah. but yet hard topped roof. That's a lot to say. Um <laughs> <laughs> use your words, Brian. It you you just <laughs> you, you did a really cool modern interpretation mm-hmm. of like that that hard top style like that Barris style roof. And yeah, it thanks. was really cool. And again, I, was, but... I love the fact, though, man, again, here, I'm, I'm harping on you. This is going to be hard to listen to. <laughs> but you did the one thing that made me so happy. It has such a cool, graceful arc. If you follow your eye from the A pillar up and back to where it dips back into the quarter panel, it has this beautiful arc to it. You didn't end up with that weird flat spot that so many guys fall victim to. Where it's like your mm-hmm. eye's going along. It's like this nice graceful curve. All of a sudden it flattens out. Yeah. Like, oh, and then it's back to, oh, that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, we, I I know you know this, Brian, but, you know, a lot of other people don't know. We made the roof. We didn't chop the existing roof. Right. So, yeah, didn't, you know, we weren't stuck with trying to use any pre-existing sheet metal or anything. So, you know, it's one of the questions we get asked is how far did you chop it? I, I have no idea. We just. <laughs> We didn't chop it. We just built the roof to look the way that we wanted it to. And it was same with all the mods that are on the car. It had no. It had nothing to do with what pre-existing me- measurements were there. It was what's going to look right down the side of the car, um, you know. And it doesn't. A tape measure doesn't matter. I, a couple years ago, or years before that one, before I was building the Merc. I don't know if you ever saw pictures of the '66 Chevelle Pro Touring car we did. Um, you know, full tube car. Uh, really neat just a bummer never got to see any press but regardless the client loved it it was a lot of fun but what we end up doing is the client bought it new or he bought it with 1500 miles i think on it uh because it was the dealership owner's son that drove the car for a year and then he bought it the next year when he was in first year of college or something managed to hang on to it his whole life had us build it so as an, as an ode to the old car when we built the new car we put the uh, the chevrolet logo that's embossed in the top of the valve cover. We put that in the quarter panel in the back where it would normally say Chevelle. Um, and so I, you know, we let the, we set the car flat on the ground and I made it to where the Chevy logo was parallel to the ground and it was so wrong. And there's, <laughs> it didn't, it looked like it pointed down. Um, so it was that moment I realized it doesn't matter what the tape measure says. It matters what looks right. Um, yeah. So at that point, I just started, you know, the, when we do suspensions, the tape measure matters. When we're making sure door openings are the right length and that sort of thing, yes, tape measure matters. When it comes to determining what lines look right and stuff like that, the tape measure only matters to copy it onto the other side.
0: That, that's brilliant. That's golden advice. See, and, and that's a hard thing to teach someone where you go, you've got to be able to trust your eye. Yeah. Because your eye never lies to you. Well, well I should say the eye doesn't lie, the mind can lie <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's an easy thing to have happen because you can fool yourself into liking anything, but yeah, when you just know something's right, you know it's right, it feels that way uh, speaking of like traditional style stuff and timeless things you you had a, a a quite a cool um quite a cool friendship with one of the basically the masters in, in our hobby, Larry Watson.
1: Um, well, I, I knew Dick Dean, who was one of, uh, George Barris's old, uh, the guys that worked with Barris and built a lot of customs. So my dad's cabinet shop was originally literally next door to Dick Dean's shop when I was a kid. I had no idea. He was just the dude that was making the, uh, um, the Flintstones mobile for the movie. (laughs) Um, I just thought, man, that guy does some weird stuff. And somebody mentioned him being, you know, a custom car builder or whatever. But like I said, as a young kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do anyway. So, um, didn't really mean much. And then, um, you know, when I got into doing more customs, my shop was literally right around the corner. Um, I would say maybe a half a mile from Dean's shop. And, uh, so I went over there occasionally. And uh, one time he, I caught him on a bad day and he chased me out of the shop. And I just, Come by to say hi, and he chased me out. And I'm like, okay, fine. Went back to my shop, and a couple of days later, he comes in and he tosses his hat in my lap. And I look up at him like, I'm not sure if we're gonna be friends yet. You've already chased me out of your shop, you know. And he goes, I'm so sorry for chasing you out of the shop. Somebody told me that you were, you know, one of the local shop guys. I just thought you were some random kid. You came in, and I didn't recognize you. I'm so sorry. And I go, ah. Oh, I- that's cool. I get it. He had a bad day, no problem. So we became kind of buddy buddy, and now every time I went by the shop, he wanted to drop everything he was doing and and tell me all these crazy stories about, you know, because he was involved with the world's longest limo build, and 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 oh my god, Dick Dean was so prolific in the custom car world over all those you know all those years, and very avant-garde, a lot of neat ideas, the shalako and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and then Larry Watson actually moved in. Locally, for whatever reason, he he moved into town and um, I was doing a lot more paint work at the time and was doing some of the the panel work that he became kind of famous for in the uh, mid 60s and stuff with like his his purple bird and whatnot. And so he just come by because he knew the manager of the complex we were at as an old timer. And there was a handful of bellflower boys that actually um, lived in Hemet as well. So it was just kind of we ran into each other more and more and more. And I was that place he could always go, and I, I think he just came by because he could relive his childhood and give us inspiration. And he'd bring by his uh, his binders with all of his photos of stuff that he built um, over and painted over the years, and tell me stories. And we, you know, when the, the shop would just come to a halt when he came by because I, that's that stuff's priceless. It doesn't matter how busy we are, learning from one of the actual you like, how how do you describe how important Larry Watson is to sixties customs? Um, (laughs) You know, even lowrider, I think a lot of lowrider, he probably inspired lowrider paint jobs more than he did sixties customs, in my opinion, um, with the panel work and that sort of thing, you know, that particular style anyways. Um, But uh, so he, he would just go on, tell us stories, tell us tricks, tell us all kinds of stuff that's not safe for the internet. <laughs> um, and, uh, it just got to where he became a friend. And so the, my ex-wife is one of those people that reaches out on everybody's birthday. Everybody's got to get a phone call, got to have a cake or whatever. So every year we'd contact him, tell him happy birthday and go up to his house, visit him. And anything, anytime he was in town, we'd always connect. Cause he ended up moving to the high desert. Uh, I think that's where he was when he, he passed away, but, uh, also Victor, ended up Victorville. Victorville, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Roger Odell was a client of mine, still a friend. And Roger was really close with uh, with Larry, so um, staying in touch with Roger and you know knowing what was going on and all that stuff. It's all just these people that are kind of uh, staples in the '60s custom world were just my friends because we all were in town and you know Hemet was motorhead city for a long time and and i tried to do the best work that i could and all these guys were super i was respectful to them because of who they were and they in turn you know appreciated me not being some punk kid so it was um really really special i i, I actually forget about how neat it is that i i was able to uh, interact with these guys the real bellflower boys so i can look at 60s cars today and shake my head and go now nope, the bellflower guys would call you bubble gummers <laughs>
3: It's funny, you know,
1: <laughs> just, well, and I knew Larry
3: this. also. And uh, after he moved up to the desert, uh, we knew him from up here. And mm. he was a really neat guy to talk to. He had a memory that was amazing. Right. He could tell you his mix ratio that he did on a car back in the 60s. It yeah. Just that sharp. Yeah. And uh, uh, what a neat guy to talk to.
1: And, yeah, uh, absolutely.
3: And he and it was like he never uh, he was very good about taking pictures. If you ever went to the little museum he had at his place, it was phenomenal oh, yeah. because yeah. he had pictures that you would never ever see anywhere. I mean, I know that there's some guys out there that have been kind of um, uh, kind of keeping the collection alive by showing some pictures every once in a while, but it deserves to be in a book. That book would be 500 pages, and I'm not exaggerating. It was Yo, the stuff he's absolutely. got is just phenomenal. And yeah. what I liked about him, he always picked the right color. You looked at some of the cars that he did, and it's just like <laughs> who would ever put that color on a car? And you look at it, and it's perfect. I couldn't picture yeah. a better color on the car. Yeah. And uh, he he was a neat guy, man. And uh, we used to see him a lot at cruise nights, and we saw him, you know, towards the end, and it, it was really sad to see somebody that had that kind of a mind, and you uh, know that uh, you're not going to see him for much longer.
1: You know, yeah. It, it was really hard. Was it was well we we had built uh, at towards the end when he had moved up there we um, we had a 61 four door Cadillac that we wanted to paint in like as a um, you know an ode to Watson so we went up there and and took I had a paint sponsor at the time and I think it was sam SEM no it wasn't Sam I don't remember who the sponsor was at the time but um, we're with House of Color now who loves us up appropriately if uh, I could do a shameless plug there um <laughs> But I was because I didn't I didn't have the big book that House of Color did. This other paint supplier was um, had a much smaller custom paint thing. So I went up there and went, okay, Larry, these are all the colors we have. This is it. What would you do if I brought you this car in 1965? How would you paint this car? And so he helped us pick out colors and lay out the basic um, basic job that you know the the tape lines and stuff how we do it. And he took us around his little museum and did the thing. And it was actually covered. Quickly by Courtney Hollowell went with us because um, I don't think Courtney had met Larry or if we did, it was only in passing. So um, I took Courtney with us to meet him and uh, I think it ended up in um, Street Trucks magazine or no, the, what was the, off, the the hot rod magazine that was an offshoot of Street Trucks? World Rods. Yeah, it was in I World of Rods. I could see the
2: cover, but I couldn't, I couldn't come up with the meme.
1: Yeah, it was when, in World of Rods, our little trip up there. So, yeah, we did that, got it all painted up, and um, didn't get the interior of the whole car done or anything, but we got the whole car finished and took it up to a little barbecue that was like, you know, yay, Larry, I hope you live for a long time. And um, he got to see the car, and that was, <laughs> the, last, that was the last time I ever saw him because I think he passed away like only a month later. Um, but I was just so elated that he was able to see the car before he he passed away and he he had nothing but accolades to give me he goes holy shit who blocked this car (laughs) i did (laughs) he goes man you got a lot of hours in this thing yes i do thank you for
2: noticing that's you don't need a trophy when that happens
1: no god no (laughs) you know that that happened when we took the merc to SEMA as well uh uh, Monday, I'm detailing the car out. And let me tell you how much I don't like detailing cars. Um, so I'm there in the booth detailing away. I already told Jerry, just stay off the internet because there's no way you're going to avoid seeing the car. He wanted to see it all together in person. So sitting there detailing, guy walks up and starts asking me questions about the car, and and I look up at him and it's John Kosmoski. And uh, and so he's asking about how I, you know, how we developed the color because I told him that we custom made the color. And, um, he was asking how we did it. And, um, he said, who's, who's paint is it? And I said, Oh, it's your guys's. He goes, Oh, no kidding. How did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you guys can answer because we got this really weird flop out of it. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and uh, he goes, man, you'd have to ask the chemist. Cause this doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, he goes, wow, oh, man. He said he probably sat there and talked to me about for 15 minutes. And then he finally goes, this is probably one of the most beautiful mercs I've ever seen. Good job, man i was like wow can we just put the car back on the trailer and go home now so i don't have to put up with the rest of this week of week like that was it i was done i didn't need any more and uh thankfully when uh jerry came out i think on wednesday and john and uh our local rep mike they came by to um just congratulate us on the car again leave a little tag on the bottom you know for the semas people so they know it's there and everything and uh that got to meet Jerry and um, he was telling Jerry that same thing. And Jerry just goes, oh, I'm done too. Let's just go home. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'll
3: take it. I don't care if it
1: gets in a magazine or anything. Those are, that, you know, from Watson and from Kosmosky to have those kinds of accolades. I'm done. It's good.
0: So I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Where did you learn to paint?
1: Um, which you're talking about automotive paint, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this, well, with your Renaissance man status, this could go anywhere. But let's let's stick with okay. Let's go with automotive paint because I do want to touch on your art too. We haven't even gotten there yet. Sure. Bye.
1: Um, I just started. I painted my bug. I uh, had a uh, when I had the shop with my. Uh, My friends originally. I painted my bug. I went up and bought a cheap paint gun and asked a couple questions. Here's how you do it, and I just started painting more and more and more. And I'm not afraid to ask questions and have somebody tell me if I'm doing it wrong or whatever. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. The chemistry is a little weird at times, but you know, understanding math makes the chemistry a little easier on how to mix and you know how to make it flow and just kind of did what it did. And then you know, doing. Like I was, any of my panel work and stuff was all pretty simple math. I wasn't, again, not super avant-garde in that sense. Myself as a painter, as an automotive painter, I, I like the basic stuff where the lines follow the existing lines of the car and I'm not a blue dot guy or, you know, any of that kind of drips and that sort of thing isn't my style. I'm not against it. It's just not my style.
0: I'm going so, to take that just, out of the show notes then because I just listed you as <laughs> Freak Drop Max, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was just literally just time just painting cars for friends and stuff just got better and better at it and it literally just kind of uh, in the shop doing it professionally it got to a point where in the shop I literally I, you said I got to we get to cuss only a few times I literally got sick of paying people to fuck stuff up for me. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to learn how to do as much of this stuff as I can, because I'm sick of it. And uh, clients coming in saying the same thing. All we ever did was just back vehicles really in the beginning and a couple little bit of, um, you know, weld door handles up, you know, shave door handles or something. But then somebody bring a car in and go, man, this other shop totally screwed this up. Can you fix this? I'm sure we can do a better job than what they did. Um, and it just kind of, you know, that whole concept of paying people to screw stuff up for me just escalated to me doing as much as I possibly could. The only thing we didn't do on the Merc was the upholstery and the transmission and, uh, obviously Chrome didn't do Chrome in-house. And, uh, there's two little emblems on the side of the car that we farmed out. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I got sick of just having to deal with, mediocre work for a fair price you know
0: yeah because that's 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 the side of the business nobody talks about where you think everything's going to be roses and a car is going to be dropped off to you and you're just going to get it from day one but so many of these cars get passed from shop to shop i mean like any car today is almost like the village bicycle you know everybody's had a ride on it and it's that's a tough gig
1: yeah, it is. It's obnoxious because the next guy is always going to be mad at what the guy previously did and, 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 and. So, yeah.
0: Well, yeah it's, it's your job to fix that problem at your own cost, of course. You know, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> like that expectation. That's the best. Yeah, yeah to hate that in the design world where it was, I got screwed by this guy. He took my money and ran away. Will you do it for X dollars less because I already paid that money?
1: <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no.
0: So then I I'm going to segue into the art just because we're right here and we're, we're already talking about paint. So when did you when did you figure out that you enjoyed art? I that's a tough that's a, it's, it's another stupid question when you think about it. <laughs> so as a as a human being, when did you decide that uh, you liked something that stirs the soul <laughs> and makes right.
1: you know, the mind. Well, if I remember correctly, it was a Tuesday. The birds were singing
2: especially loud that day.
0: Oh, awesome. Um, <laughs> I remember that Tuesday.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was there. Um, That's where all the birds went. It, it,
1: it was <laughs> another one of those things that just kind of grew slowly. I always sketched in class and did little basic things, but I was never that kid that would be the noteworthy artist in school. Me neither. But, but the art teacher knew that I had talent, But my, you know, the stuff was just kind of rough. So, um, never really chased it. I just assumed everybody could just draw to a minimum state, anyways. Again, my normal must be everybody else's normal. Um, and I really didn't pick up any kind of art tools to deliberately do art until seven years ago. Um, kind of had a, a crisis in my life where I just had had it in the shop at that point I've been doing, you know, cause I've had bio customs since 97 coming up on 21 years now. So after doing that for 15 something years or whatever, I was sick of working on cars. Our entire life were revolved around cars, all the big die cast cars around that time and stuff. I, we had all of that crap and I got sick of going from car themed thing to car themed thing to car themed thing. So, um, uh, if, if I remember correctly, the uh, my ex-wife and uh, her daughter were doing just a lot of hobby stuff. And my ex-wife's cousin was a really talented um, abstract artist. And um, so we started doing more stuff with them and going to like the the L.A. Brewery. I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, the artist colony that's there at the old brewery. No. That's, that's where uh, he was literally next door neighbors with Coop. Oh. Like the Hot Rod Artist Coop.
0: That would be awesome.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Coop's studio is pretty trippy. Um, A lot of fun, but nothing what you see in public. You know, he's got a lot different stuff that he does in his studio. (laughs) But but the whole brewery was a trip. It was a huge brewery. I don't know exactly how they had so many offices, but all the offices were separated into uh, studio apartments. And in order to rent there, you had to be an artist that lived off of your art at least part time. So twice a year during the spring and during the fall they would have uh, an open house to where the entire brewery was open to the public and you could either choose to leave your studio open or closed and a lot of people lived in these studios their studio apartments and so they'd be like folding up their beds up into the corner and just putting sheets over them or boxes um so that you couldn't see what was going on but there's a handful of artists that I've seen um in magazines and, and out you know a little bit more um publicly that we're all in that area and that's probably what triggered my interest in more of the put quote unquote around fine art because of course fine art and uh, lowbrow are two different worlds so probably liked the lowbrow a little bit more in the beginning and enjoying a little bit more of the fine art but without the politics that go with fine art um
0: yeah that's that's a whole different world i mean i think i think you and i when we really started to talk about art was right about the time, like magazines like High Fructose and things like that were really starting to hit the stands. Mm hmm. That's kind of funny. Yeah, because yeah, that's th- that lowbrow world. And I hate that term now. I really yeah. It's,
1: yeah, it's, it's a bad term, but yeah. Uh,
0: that's like indie bands. You know, I, I don't like that. That's Looks just like
2: a... the term rat rod. Yeah, exactly. It
0: just conjures up the wrong, you know, image. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, right. Agreed. So what inspires you to create the art that you do? Cause I, I think I'm trying to think <laughs> one of the first pieces that I saw of yours was going back to a old particular vampire piece. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. still love that painting.
1: The organic blood sucker
0: with yeah. the
1: green sucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, on well, the beginning I really liked just juxtaposing elements it was a lot of fun. Um, and like the, you know, the the green sucker instead of sucking on blood um, or the elephant hand, you know, elephantitis of the hand or whatever. I just enjoyed the juxtaposing of elements, but um, was kind of afraid to let loose, I guess, is, is one of my weaknesses. The whole being a little avant-garde and pushing the envelope isn't really my style. And then after the divorce, I was able to just go... I kind of don't give a shit what anybody thinks anymore. And so I started doing more of the nude art that I'm doing today, um, which is my main thing just because I I like pushing the envelope and making people a little bit uncomfortable with something that's not technically, that shouldn't be uncomfortable. It's just a nude body. Um, So anybody that's uncomfortable by it, that's a you problem and anybody that enjoys it right on
2: nicely said,
0: that's, that's the key is finding that weird thing that makes you uncomfortable. Like it, I mean, if you go back, this could be a strange, it stop me if this is dumb, but I always looked at things like in your art, you've got a couple pieces that just give you that weird feeling. You're kind of like, it's, you're just slightly off kilter. And hmm. for me, I equate that to watching the opening scene of jaws when I was a kid and yeah. the There's a whole weird thing to that movie where it's not scary because there's, you know, there's somebody being attacked by the shark because it's bloody or anything like that. It's it's that unease of just the way that whole thing is set up. You know, it's something horrible happening to someone and you're witnessing it and you can't stop it. Mm -hmm. There's that strange feeling. And your art, there's a couple pieces of yours that take your brain and drag you into a spot where you're like, I'm going to stand here and just kind of hang out and your art's grabbing you and going, no, 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 no. Let's go in here and take a look at this. And going, no, I, don't, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, and that's, that is the best thing. It's a thrill ride. And that's, that's a really cool yeah. deal. And awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and not a lot of artists are capable of doing that. And we're yeah. I, I going through, like I was classically trained, which if you're listening to this, yeah, there's good sides and bad sides to that. The bad side was, if you're sitting in a class, and we we talked about this off air too, we were talking about you know uh, a certain talk that somebody gave where they said you know if you don't like this artist, you're wrong,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and I think you, you can really easily become indoctrinated in that, and that's a horrible thing, especially something as freeing as art, where somebody can indoctrinate you. I had that done to me where I look at certain art and you become kind of an elitist. You think, okay, well, this guy is technically proficient here and his work is perfectly balanced over here. And you could easily do that with anything. You could do that in the car side of things. Like You could have done that, uh, let's go back to Jerry's Merc as an example. That car could have easily been sitting down on the ground with cruiser skirts on it, wide white walls, and Appleton spots. There's
1: a lot of people who wish I did.
0: Oh, and, and good for them because there's five yeah. million other of them out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it, it's one of those things where like with your art, I think your art definitely is, is an extension of your personality. And I'm glad that you're finding that freedom to just go, you know, screw this. You're doing what makes sense to you and what feels right. And now we just got all touchy-feely and new-agey. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, how, how does the color <laughs> the blue, blue make you feel, Max? <laughs> blue?
2: Sad. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize that you weren't classically trained. I, I, you know, just the quality of your art, the perspective. I just had always assumed that, you know, you'd done years in art school.
1: Oh, prison. well, thank you. But yeah, no. I just one day decided to pick up a brush or a pencil or whatever that day decided the tool was. Thank you though.
0: And it's, well, it's awesome. amazing. I, as someone who you know, has to make a living drawing things, I said, when when I first look at your stuff, I was like, dude, the guy, you just get it, right? And you know, that's <laughs> it's one of those things. Natural talent is rarely. It's very rare to find.
1: No, thank you. Yeah, it's I get, you know, on this this same subject talking about my art, I've had a handful of people of course ask me if I'll draw their car or something and it's it's always no. My I'll work on your car in the shop. Well, when I come in the house and do art, if it's not um you know what I'm interested in, I don't want. Like I, it's it's naked women for a reason because it's not cars. My house doesn't look like <laughs> I, it belongs to a car person my house looks like you wouldn't, you'd actually be surprised at my house because it's pretty well put together for a, a, a bachelor. You know, I do most of my house is all mid-century stuff, but it's not at all. There's not an inkling in the house that makes you think that it's carpet, except for right now. I do have a subframe from a motorcycle that needs to be shipped out, but that's it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it's temporary.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. But I've been like two of my, you know, two of my favorite people, Brian and uh, Chris Dunlop. Um, I I would love to want to put your art in my house, but I, as much as I love you guys, I don't want your art in my
0: house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're gonna love my next series because I finally come to grips with just drawing penises into everything, and (laughs) it's—I'm gonna eliminate the everything else. It's gonna be strictly that. So, if you're interested in that, are you gonna have a
1: lunchbox digs treasure (laughs) chest (laughs) though?
2: He's seeking applications for models, I hear. (laughs) Uh, Hey. that took an (laughs) ugly turn
3: it's just like where's waldo you just got to find his little symbol
0: (laughs) ain't that the truth um (laughs) (laughs) so man and and speaking of your art it's not for you it's not just drawing and painting either you've you've done some really cool stuff over the years um Back when when I was a married soul, you had done a pair of wedding bands for me.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: you know, I, and that that made my life. I mean, those were those were very cool. And I, I kept mine. Damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears here and getting back to cars, um, how do you find a balance between offering advice like you do online? And self promoting obviously your own work and your own product.
1: Well they're um you know, I was I always feel like a snake oil salesman when I when people ask me, like, hey, how do I get rid of this problem? Uh drop spindles? And they're like, Nobody makes drop spindles. We do. <laughs> I <know a>
3: guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm you know, I'm telling you, the real fix for your problem is to put drop spindles on it. But I'm the only guy that makes drop spindles. I'm sure there's a couple other places out there now that that are offering them, obviously. But, um, but it was the on it. It was the real fix for these trucks. Right. Um, it was, it was like a weird switch between the '88, and '98 full-size Chevy trucks, and then the the next generation body style. The early the '88 to '98 generation, you could lower them really, really well, but they lifted like crap. Right. And now the next, the new generation stuff all get lifted really well <laughs> and they lower like crap. So, exactly. you know, when, when you get a, a vehicle like a Titan or a Frontier or something that's not popular enough for somebody to, you know, go to China and have cast spindles made, if you're not going to sell 10,000 of them, why do it? So, right. um, you know, it's just the, the correct fix, but I happen to be one of the only guys that make them. So it just, it's, you know, that's why I do them, but it is uh, I do feel like a snake oil salesman as well.
2: <laughs> so just, uh, you know, and, and this is probably, you know, the information is probably on the website, but what do your spindles go for?
1: Oh, that's what's funny is because it says in the top corner $750 is a cost for a mod because we modify the factory spindle. So um, it's just like for the cost of the modification is 750 and I get emails all the time asking me how much it is even though it's like right on the
3: page. <laughs>
1: so, but you know, the one-off one-off spindles, of course, double that right away and keep going up from there. Uh, depending on how crazy they are, because one-off stuff takes a hell of a lot more time. And, oh, sure. um, you know, so at, at that stage, it just becomes an hourly job. And, and how intensely do you want them finished? Cause you know, we can do just simple TIG welded part and you can send them out and power coat them or we can hand file everything and make it this jewelry piece that you just want to hang on your, you know, uh, nightstand or whatever you want to put a spindle in your house so it just depends on what everybody wants so it's hard to put a dollar figure there but
2: right what's what's the average drop you're getting out of a spindle
1: um too much more than three inches starts to get into other issues where parts just run into parts
2: well yeah you're so, have stuff hitting the wheels brake calipers getting all over the place and yeah
1: um, yeah stern, it's gonna start, start or, yeah gonna start exactly. hitting
2: the a-arms and you go okay stuff's hitting but uh
1: yeah. So the, the biggest drop spindle I've ever done is a four inch and that's a full fabricated one for the Frontier. or I'm sorry, for the Titan. Wow. Uh, so it, it uses but it's only for the guys that are going body dropped on like 28s. So I won't even sell it to you if you've got a wheel smaller than a 26 inch wheel um, because it's only for the guys that need a lot of lift. So I run vertically um, horizontally mounted uniballs so that the uniball actually limits the steering, but not the lift. Um so cool. these guys, yeah, they can lay all the way out and get like twelve inches of lift. Um That's and, pretty cool. Yeah, it obviously helps again drivability being a huge thing if we can get it all the way up and still function. Um but you gotta build it's set up for custom arms. You can't it's not a factory bolt on part where all the rest of the stuff <laughs> I do is bolts on.
2: <laughs> so. You know, I remember uh years ago <clears throat> a friend of mine, Troy Hamilton, the I know you know um, did a oh, what was the the Ford Ranger four door pickup? Um, oh, Sport yeah. Track. Yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, I don't know if you helped him or if yeah, uh, he, he built took that at the price.
1: yeah, he he did that at the shop. We built. Um, he just used my fixture and built those for himself.
2: Yeah, I remember he he, he was telling me that he hand built the or well at least modified the factory spindle. How the hell I how do you dare modify a factory spindle? He goes, oh, Max Fish knows how to do all this stuff. I'm like what and, you know. anyway, so i have known Troy for gosh before either one of us had kids, that was twenty five years ago, so oh wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: obviously, I've known Troy's pretty close friend of mine, um mm-hmm. as well, see, I've known him for quite a while it's um, it's one of those things where I used to get asked all the time how to weld cast, but it's not um, it's like asking somebody I, I'd tell them all the time that it's like asking somebody how to build a bomb in your in your basement. It's just not a good idea to tell the world how to build a bomb. So, uh, yeah, I just don't, and I've gotten chewed out a few times for not sharing the information, but it's one of those things. I don't share engineering information either because unless you know how to engineer for me to tell you how thick the material should be to build the part. Uh, right. you, I, you're just, I'm putting myself into a state of liability because you're going to, you know, I'll build a part out of eighth inch plate that I wouldn't, tr- wouldn't safely ask somebody else to do out a quarter inch plate. Um, sure. Cause they just don't know enough about engineering. So it's kind of in that same, that same thing. Uh, Cause I've, I've had a couple of our spindles fail just from simply overheating the part while welding it. It crystallized. Yeah. Crystallized the cast and just turns it literally rock hard and just breaks straight off. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, uh, I don't want to share that kind of information with folks.
2: <laughs> well, I know Troy put a lot of miles on that sport track and sold it and somebody else put a lot of miles on it. So yeah. Yeah. it
0: was a, that was a cool little truck.
1: It was. It was really cool. Troy's got a great eye for style as well. Oh, he does. Yeah, everything he builds is pretty.
0: You mentioned a really good point. Um, You know, having something fail because you've overheated it. Obviously, uh, another point to not just having the engineering background, you've got to understand metallurgy. And there's a lot of sciences coming together for something, you know, and I hate to say it because it is a complex thing, but for something as simple as suspension. You know? It it gets mind bogglingly complex.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, really fast. So it's it's hard to put it all like the books. You know, for the uh, the books I'm doing, there's going to be at least three books because I can't fit it all into one book. Maybe when they're all done, I can have a giant Bible to put together. But man, it's it's going to end up being 100 and, probably 150 pages on just rear suspension, and that's just straight axle. That's not even getting into IRS stuff. So the next book will wow. be A arm suspensions. Um, and probably half of it will literally be trying to quantify all the weird steering stuff I was talking about. You know, if you're going to design from scratch, because um, not very many people are designing suspensions from scratch. They might be basing it off of pre-existing parts and modifying, for pre-existing systems and modifying it. But people building from scratch, scratch, it's you know, how much steering wheel input should move these the steer the tires themselves? How many uh, how many degrees? all of that stuff needs to be taken into consideration and we don't have to worry about that in any other case, you know? Right. <laughs> so how do you quantify steering arm length, uh, not tie rod, but actual distance from the ball, bottom ball joint to the, or just from a, you know, the steering uh, axis to the, where the tie rod mounts, how far out should that line be on the spindle? You know, how far is the rack or s- steering box swinging? how, how do you integrate all that into Ackerman and bump steer and too long of a tie rod, too short of a tie rod? You know, caster gain is going to change all of that stuff. There's so much weirdness that goes into just steering when you're designing from scratch that it's going to end up being multiple chapters. It'll probably end up having to be like three chapters, one for each dimension. You know, uh, top top view, front view, side view. Um, they all affect the steering um, in their own individual way, So it'll probably end up being something like that.
2: You know, it's interesting on the, on the custom, you know, well, the uh, so-called custom front ends, you know, the mm-hmm. Valari was so big for years and then, uh, you know, Nova Camaros and then of course Mustang twos yeah. and everybody, you know, wants to argue that, oh, it's, you know, the, the greatest thing ever. It's like, have you actually ever driven a Mustang two and yeah. said, holy shit, I want every car I have to handle like this or not handle like this. I just, you know, I just, and, you know, just, and Everybody's been so sold on the Mustang Two for the last twenty something years. That's like I've driven a Mustang Two or a Pinto, same thing. Yeah,
1: thank you. Thank I you. don't
2: I don't <laughs> want something that drives like that. No, a- not at all.
0: No. But I think it, it comes down to it being just it it's a it is probably the most generic setup. I mean, period. And yeah. it's compact. It's used it under is. so many different things. So that's, yeah. that's like looking at anything like GM A-body or F-body stuff that was super popular. I mean, it's just, it's a good yeah. generic setup.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with that. I, I certainly can't argue. There's a reason it's as prolific as it is. Um, it's pretty universal, but what I don't understand is how these dudes with quarter million dollar cars going down the laundry list of mods, and they're like, yeah, and we got a pinto <laughs> front end, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's just, I'm lost, but one of my, um, uh, one of the guys that helped me really understand street suspension stuff, his name is Steve duck. He's an ex, um, Bilstein engineer, if I remember correctly. And, um, I was talking to him and he knows the guy that designed the Mustang two front end. And the guy has no clue why everybody thinks it's this amazing (laughs) go-to suspension. It's a cheap suspension designed for a cheap car.
0: I was I hoping you were going to take that a different way, and we were going to hear, "Oh, you know, it's the guy who designed that suspension. And the guy's a lunatic. He's a raving yeah. madman. <laughs> he lives in a shed somewhere, and he eats <laughs> he eats Korean countertops. That'd be awesome." But well, I mean, to be fair, he could. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, that's that's a hell of a point, though. Yeah, why would you take? A car that rides poorly and just deem that as being a thing, well, probably because there's so many of them out there. And right. track-with-wise, they're really adaptable. Yeah. They're not hard to set up. So that, I mean, that Bolton thing makes sense. They and do have like, their strengths, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like today, they're... everything's, you know, later Corvette stuff. That's the big way to go. Everything's right. based on that.
1: Well, and that's yeah. problematic for airbags.
0: I was gonna say because that's a whole different can of worms you're getting into
1: yeah they've got a lot of what I call induced geometry to where the the, the caster and camber and uh, you know deliberate toe change and stuff like that as they run through their travel because it's a performance car you can push the geometry really really hard on a static car so that it kicks ass in a corner but uh, if you were to just simply lower the car three inches and drive it like that and then raise it three inches and drive it like that, it's going to be a shit show of a car to drive. Um, I mean, it's probably okay, but something that's a hell of a lot more mundane and not meant to be a performance car is going to have a lot less induced geometry. It's going to be a lot more muted. Um, that's the thing about like my front steering geometry theory, is, or even my rear suspension theory, is still having geometry, but it's a lot more muted because it needs to work across a, a larger span of uh, uh, of drivability than you would normally do from the factory, so it's just taking factory concepts that work, that have mathematical proof to them, and just kind of making them more a little more generalized. Um, and the must and the uh, Corvette is not that suspension, not the new generation stuff, anyways. So it's not good for bags.
0: Yeah. No, that, I've that's heard a lot of that. I, I've looked at a lot. You'll see a car coming together where you know they've got. That let's, we're not going to name names, let's see if X company's chassis they're running, you know, the Corvette style suspension minute you see it with bags especially when you see a build photo in my brain, I'm not looking at it like, oh it's really cool, they've got polished arms and this and that I'm looking at it going, oh, that's not going to ride right? Yeah <laughs> Yeah Yeah And it's just, it's funny because a lot of people don't think that way and that's why I'm, again, it's not a plug for your book we're not getting paid for this and and I sure hope you get paid for this, but uh, you know, a book like yours is desperately needed out there. Because I, yeah. I still think there are guys out there who can build the hell out of a car, but can't put a good suspension together. Yeah, I, agree. I really There's hope that this inspires. The, yeah. I hope this inspires the hell out of the kid who's putting together something in his parents' garage.
1: Yeah, agreed. I hope so too. That's what I want. Obviously, I don't. My, my shop's always busy, so I don't need to drum up any more business in my place. We stay, stay fine. And so I want to see the rest of the industry do well and start refining what – because obviously bags aren't going anywhere. They've been well in place for a couple decades now. They're not going anywhere. So <laughs> let's uh, let's figure out how to make these not just be a, a compromise thing where you go, my ride's pretty good for bags. What if it rode pretty kick-ass for a car? <laughs> not just for bags. So I I think it's it's totally doable and and the information just needs to be presented to the public. And I I hope like hell that it changes the way everybody looks at it. Um, Even if I don't get credit, I just want to see the the industry change for better in that
0: sense. Awesome. Let's see. That's why I like you as a human being. The greater good. Look at you.
1: Yeah, well, if I got credit for it, then I'd have to be in, like, all these weird places and doing talks and stuff where I'd kind of just rather stay at home with my cats.
0: I would <laughs> give anything to see a Max Fish TED Talk. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Okay, here you go. If the opportunity presented itself, if you were told, uh, it, and I know they wouldn't do this to you, but let's just say uh, Friday you have to give a TED Talk, what would okay. you give it on? What 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 drives you to a point what were you passionate enough about to stand up there and 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 give the big max fish ted talk on blank
1: <laughs> well the uh the unfortunate part is the thing that actually drives me day to day has nothing to do with cars but that's the one area where i have probably a corner on the market is suspension design and you know a uh, you know proper approach to that sort of thing so i'd be the one of the few people that should be called in to do that sort of a talk, but I'd rather give, you know, the, like you and I, we've had a handful of those talks. And I got a few friends that I uh, connect with in the same way of just learning how to be a genuinely happy human being and owning owning who you are and being like unapologetically you and all the things that go with, like to me, that next level bit of life, the Jonathan Livingston Seagull thing of learning how to, you know, be awesome because the rest of the world doesn't matter and this is what you've chosen to be good at i think that's more important than uh than any of the automotive or art stuff that i do so i'd have to be picking something somehow in there that wasn't already covered in a ted talk because i'm uh i'm sure somebody like uh oh what's her name she's awesome uh brené brené brown oh Yeah, yeah she's done some great talks on that sort of thing so i'd you know I'd be like the Johnny come lately compared to her
0: in talking to you. I got to tell you through my life, you really opened my eyes to that whole thing that like when people are seeking out the meaning of life, what's the meaning of life? the meaning of life is just being happy with your own shit show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the trick isn't seeking out this magic pill, man. It's, it's putting on the hip waiters, getting through the bullshit that you create that you believe and, and sifting through it to figure out, okay, what's real and what's not.
2: Yeah. And, or whatever uh, that
0: means to you.
1: It's, it's uniquely yours. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You know, and that's, that's a fun deal. And that's that whole, that, that takes a lot of, uh, intestinal fortitude, I think to kind of dig into yourself. Yeah,
1: it does. It can be scary in there for sure.
0: And I think that's worse than the opening minutes of jaws. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's always anytime I have that talk, I sit down and I can you know, always have that kind of first talk with any of my the new people that I, I meet or whatever. And it's almost always met with some sort of pushback. I'm always told why they deserve the crappy situation they're in or something along those lines. And I just don't understand that. Uh, that why that's Why does that have to be in place? Why do you have to just fundamentally assume that you deserve whatever you got? because uh, it plagues some of my friends that I talk to all the time. It just plagues them endlessly. They just will not believe that good things they do deserve good things because they've got an excuse why they deserve the bad things.
0: Well you gotta be able to put that out there too. I think if if you put something out in the universe, and we've proven this time and time again between us, it where if you just put it out in the universe that hey, something good's gonna happen. I mean how many times have you and I talked about that when it's been a like a pit of bleakness you know, it's like, oh, everything's shit. And, oh wow, well, Are we out of shits now at this point on the show? Have well, I... if we
1: weren't, you just ruined it with that last one. <laughs> I think, I
0: think it, <laughs> it depleted the pile. But, <laughs> you know, it, you get into it and, you know, if you just put out in the universe that, yeah, good stuff can happen, you've got to look for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's where it is with anything. And I, I think it works that way, how life itself it works that way with cars. I mean, you can walk around a car show and just be like, oh, I hate that car. That's stupid. That's the wrong color. That sits wrong. Well, you're not going to yeah. see the one car that's out there that just blows your mind because this guy literally nailed, you know, two things together, never been nailed together before on a car. Mm-hmm. Although if you're building your car with nails, well, unless yeah. it's a Woody, we, we have to have a little <laughs> chit-chat. That'd
2: be yeah. a whole other book
0: for you. 20s and 30s covered <laughs> <forwards. laughs>
1: book four why not to build with nails
0: we could (laughs) oh this could be a crossover show we could have you and bob from arp on and we could do a crossover show
1: (laughs) (laughs) and i'll be the nail guy and he can be the fastener guy no no
0: the thread this will be awesome we'll call this point no we can't call it Yeah, Well, well, it could be a point-counterpoint show. Who cares? (laughs) I want to
2: see grade 8 nails,
0: man. I'm kind of excited about this. Right?
2: (laughs) Left-hand thread, though. Left-hand thread, grade 8 nails. Uh. (laughs) You know
1: what? uh, You know, talking about the TED Talk, I think one of the first things that popped into my mind, but I don't know if it'd be a 20-minute long talk, but I think the concept of the Dunning-Kruger effect is uh is kind of a funny one because the internet as a whole does anybody else know the
2: theory behind the Dunning Kruger effect? I do. I do not know. I've heard of it. I just don't remember what uh what it is. The uh
1: the general idea on the internet is uh, people are too stupid to realize they're stupid. And that <laughs> I'll agree with that. That is the most like overly simplified definition of it, when you really read the study is really well done. And I think, um, that would be a lot of fun to define, uh, the Dunning Kruger effect a little bit more thoroughly rather than the memes that just, you know, talk about dead people don't realize they're dead, just like stupid people don't realize they're (laughs) stupid. You know, there's a lot more to it because the Dunning Kruger effect also works in the opposite where if you're very, very proficient at something, you're going to be frustrated with people who don't get it so quickly Yeah, is also part of the Dunning-Kruger effect because you have these high expectations because it's easy for you um, versus somebody who is, you know, uh, one of the studies they did was uh, took um, low IQ people and asked them how well they thought they or how good of a uh, chess player they were. And they generally assumed that they were above average chess players when we know that low IQ is generally going to produce low quality (laughs) chess players. Um, but that's kind of where the theory came from is if you don't know enough about the subject, that also means you don't know enough to know that you can't process how much you don't know. You know, it's, it's, uh, you, you miss out on all of it. It's like the, the concept of, um, Zorro, the movie Zorro with Antonio Banderas and, um, um anthony hopkins and he says do you even know how to use a sword and he's like sure the pointy end goes in the other guy yes <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're a sword master <laughs> that just means you know the basic concept uh, and i love that whole thing i love that idea because it means that we're all idiots somehow and i love that humbling effect of Something, somehow, whatever the subject is, you pick it. Somebody's going to be a specialist and you're going to be an idiot. And I think that's so cool.
2: Is this why everybody thinks that they're a good driver? Yes. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, it's absolutely right. it.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. It all makes sense now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's actually a really neat uh, neat story. I mention it in the book as well because the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, there's a lot of psychological stuff that keeps people from wanting to learn. 2 link guys <laughs> are uh, well, yeah, they fall
2: oh wow they I read it on in the God. interweb so you know so yeah. I, I got a question are these Dunny Kruger guys are they like famous scientists or are they a couple of frat guys that were drinking beer going man people are stupid I, <laughs> what if, I'm if I
1: remember correctly they were actually um, that was their um, master thesis uh, yes. Brian yes. might correct me on that but I think, I that's, think that's
3: correct, correct.
1: Yeah. so they weren't they weren't even doctors at the time when they came up with it but um you know, I don't know that anybody's proved it wrong. I haven't seen anybody that popped up and said, no, you know, anti, anti-DKers.
0: anti <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be a whole thing. You know there's a group out play. there. The
1: Anti-DKers? Anti-Dunning Krugers? <laughs> great.
0: Yeah, like. Well,
1: uh, I mean, if, if we can be a flat earthers, there's, there's got to be somebody that's against any other concept. Oh,
0: yeah, let's not even get into that. No, no, please. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Flat Earth. So here we go.
2: Now, um, I want to see the Max Fish anti-Flat Earth book.
0: The an anti-Flat Earth book. <laughs> it's a page and a, a, a half, half long.
1: <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys see the little screen cap from a post I, I uh, or a comment I made on a on an account where I I told somebody that I would happily engage them because I was curious what they thought? And they just straight up called me an idiot and cussed at me and all kinds of stuff? Well, I, I
0: saw lived that. Was that brilliant. Seat. Ah, you know you've got somebody when you can turn it to anger within four sentences. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Oh, I was
1: totally open. Like, yeah, dude, let's let's interact. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Nope, you're an idiot. I don't want to hear you spew bullshit out of your mouth. There's all kinds of stuff. It was pretty good.
2: That's somebody's ex.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's got to be a lot of, you know... That we won't even get into it. I mean, I was just thinking, there's got to be a lot of drugs involved with going, getting to the point of flat Earth. <laughs> you
1: know, you know, I think it's just a general disenfranchised with the information we're fed. You know, because we're getting bad information from all directions, whether it's you know generally accepted, however, whatever way you want to believe it, we're getting so much weird information that doesn't really compute in our brains that it's so easy to get to a point where you start to reject everything that's the only thing that makes any sense to me is you just disenfranchise with life in general at that
0: stage i think the questioning anything is a sign of some form of intellect absolutely i do have to agree that there's a certain line where you cross over from just intellect into just blatant stupidity
1: yep agreed
0: And I think that's a really easy, and it's, I think it's such a thin line, it's easy to blur sometimes too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to just kind of nudge across it and it's like, oh, well, this guy seems kind of smart. You know, it's like George Carlin once said, you know, you could be listening to somebody like, oh, this guy seems fairly intelligent. Oh, he's an idiot.
2: There it is. Yep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) i I've got so many conspiracy (laughs) theories that are just in my brain of things that I'm just just aware of. They're just kind of like peripherally understand what's going on. But I don't I don't ever subscribe to any of them as absolutes. So I just I just remain skeptical. And that's what I tell my friends when they start questioning me on things. And I can you know, I can the the Second Amendment is a good example of a discussion where I just go, man, I I don't know exactly what the right answer is. But I can tell you that I want to defend myself. You know, so how do we, how do we meet in the middle? How do we, how do we find this middle ground? And I'm happy to have these open conversations and not take this staunch stance that, no, you're an idiot if, if you feel any one way or the other, you're allowed to feel however you want to feel, but let's talk about it. What, what would make you comfortable? This is the problem that I have with, with that and implementing these ideas. Like, let's just, like the the world is just missing open communication anymore. It's so weird. I'm lost on this one.
2: This need to be right, and then have to be vocal and get rude about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's well, just right Okay, you hit on something good there, Eric. So, and this is going to go way off topic. I kind of I'm enjoying the hell out of this. Well, if you're still listening, people, this is going to get fun. Um, <laughs> if you stand back, and this, I'm going to tie all of this together. I think really wonderfully, and if I don't, just call me an idiot because maybe I've crossed over that blurry line. <laughs> but. If you can break anything down in our universe, the one we live in here is all geometrically based. See, that all goes back to suspension. And (laughs) if really, if you look at it, everything could be broken down to geometry, it's really that simple. There's a guy at the University of Chicago, oh, god, back in the 70s, uh, Jack Cowan. And Jack Cowan came up with this idea that, um, you could take a hallucinatory response in somebody and break it down mathematically. And what he kind of showed was that um, like the way your visual cortex is wired, um, there are only certain kinds of patterns that can happen in any person who's having a a visual hallucination. Now, if you start figuring out that no matter what happens, everything has to happen a certain way. So if you start looking, you know, breaking down things in an electron microscope, you know, this becomes an atom. An atom breaks down to these core parts. These core parts break down to this. This breaks down to what we figure out vibrations and energy somewhere. Everything has to be a certain way. What happens, though, is everything gets layered with this whole thing of, like, perception. And then you you add pride to that. So then you get somebody who's going to say, well, I think the Earth is flat. And you're like, well, no, no, here's why the Earth isn't flat. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, no matter what you say. We'll, well, like my favorite thing on Flat Earth is where the Have you ever seen this video where the guy has a globe and he's got this model airplane?
1: Oh Jesus, this guy!
0: <laughs> Live for this
1: video. Well, the
0: nose would be pointing no, down.
1: People that know me know that I'm not an idiot. <laughs> 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 Remember, he had that. He had that descriptor in the beginning, just so we know. He said.
0: Yeah, it really. So the people who know you are afraid to tell you that you're an idiot. Yeah, is basically what you're saying at that point. And at, mm-hmm. at any point in time, you could stop and whittle away what's left of that model airplane and stab somebody in the face.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, what's I, funny is the on the tooling thing, and I really would way way rather get back to the uh, talking about humans and stuff. But um, I I did get the chance to meet. Um, was it Ken, the NASCAR suspension designer? Um, Ray Evernham.
2: Ray Evernham. Jeez. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, so I got to um, I got to meet Ray Evernham when they were doing the Merck on the Americana show, and um, you know he got to talking to me when he realized that I had designed the suspension and stuff, and he's like, "Oh wait, what suspension guy? Come on, man!" So we all hung out afterwards and chat, and so I asked him about the the truck trailing arm. Two link that's underneath the NASCAR because, of course, everybody defends the two link by saying, but I mine's this type. So <laughs> I asked him about it and he goes, Oh, man, yeah, no, it's a, it's a terrible design. I wish we had something different. It just is what it is because it's more, we're trying to keep it grassroots and simple. So we're not trying to overcomplicate it with four links and, and tunable suspensions. So uh, he's like, Yeah, it's uh, on the street. If I had any other option, I'd be doing something besides this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we end up with an airplane that's upside down <laughs> you know what I, I want to know is, is, is people that are doing this whole how do you keep water on a globe because I've seen dudes that are pouring water over an orange and all this dumb <laughs> shit that makes no sense <laughs> if you were if you were to lock somebody in a box that had no windows, no doors, like, all the walls were white, and you just, like, screwed the walls in next behind them, you know, the, to where they couldn't tell what up or down was. You know what down would be? The direction gravity is pulling.
0: <laughs> yep. That's it. Otherwise, there's nothing that's, else
1: gets that down. I don't understand how they think that you get to the underside of the earth. Doesn't Like, you're going to fall off because gravity... I know they don't believe gravity exists so you can't believe you can't bring gravity into the flat earth conversation but but that's what down means is the gravity direction
0: <laughs> my favorite theory on that is that the earth is like a giant plate and it's just constantly in a state of being thrust upward through space ah uh, and that's how gravity works perpetual <laughs> motion earth Oh, yes because space is infinite so earth can constantly be going upward yeah okay i remember seeing that and going really that's um that that that's what you've come up with okay. then we decided we weren't gonna talk
1: about flat earth and then we could stop talking about flat earth <laughs> yeah, how
0: did this happen <laughs> son of a two links we almost just drifted won. into like with your box thing, we we drifted into like Plato's like allegory of the cave. This, this one, this <laughs> one, all deep, man. I'm feeling the Dunning Kruger effect
2: quite deeply, personally.
0: Oh, well, at least you're not feeling it. the Freddy Kruger effect. That's pretty cool. <laughs> as long as we don't get combative.
2: <laughs> nah, it's,
0: it's not gonna <laughs> So, in conclusion, um, the end. Yay. <laughs> no. Uh I do I, I want to have you back at some point and I want to I, w- I want to do a whole sub series of this where we literally just discuss philosophy. Oh. So, uh for anyone interested uh, as far as the book goes online. Uh, obviously, I know you've got a good Facebook uh group going for this. Would you like to tell our listeners where they can find that?
1: Uh the the Facebook
0: Sure. Specifically,
1: is is probably the best place to keep track of um, of what's going on with the book. Even though I've been really bad about updating it, it's just air suspension design book. Um, as I'm uh, putting uh, the all of the content, a lot of the content that's going on in, on the account, like the videos and stuff that are going on my YouTube, I share a little clip on the. Uh, on the Facebook that then all has a link to the YouTube account. And in the book itself, we'll actually have QR codes to where when you're reading through the book and if you get a specific subject that has a video associated with it, you can just scan that on your phone and actually go directly to the YouTube. So, um, but the Facebook account probably has the most information and there's an Instagram account as well. That's more for the publishing company as a, as a blanket. Cause there is a kid's book that we're kind of working on as well. Um, very slowly, but um, we want to actually bring a, a real kids, an automotive-based kids book um, to the world that's um, to introduce kids to the different styles that isn't isn't uh, isn't necessarily specific to, you know, hot rods or whatever thing it needs to be. But just in general, all the different genres of custom cars. So it's a slow-going thing, but because of that, we we actually started a publishing company called Pedantic Publishing. Um, because I'm pedantic. Um, and so <laughs> that's what that is. And so everything will kind of fall underneath that umbrella. And I've got ideas for other books as well down the road. Um, you know, once that time comes and I can worry about starting an actual pedantic publishing Facebook page, but um, yeah, I would say that uh, would be the easiest place would be the, the book account. And then, uh, you know, my personal account, everybody's per- is welcome to follow me. I always post Weird stuff on there. Just Max Fish. Follow along. Everything's public. Anything I post is public. So don't be nice. sad if I can't follow you better, or if I can't friend you back. But I'm happy to have everybody involved in the community and the conversation. As long as you're being polite, you can be as uh, disagreeing as possible. As long as you're polite,
0: and you do have mm-hmm. some great conversations on there. So that's hell yes. Join us. Mm-hmm. Join the gang. It's fun. Yeah. I don't say a gang. I do oh, made you into a gang. Uh, now we're a bunch of animals gotta have a nice. rumble well you have to say we're not a gang Wait, you're, you're a club right <laughs> so is we're. that how we keep
1: from being profiled?
0: yes see <laughs> we're a club <laughs> well awesome man I can't say thank you enough for your, for your time and for the wonderful picture of the pillows um, that made my day yeah I've still got the you've shared
1: Got all the bedazzled ones saved for you. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm glad we finally got to connect. I know we've been talking about this for months and and life doing life things. It finally ended up where uh, I'm finally here, and it took a lot of work to borrow someone else's internet and mouse in order to make this work.
0: <laughs> and it was awesome. And thank thank you. You know, and I'm thankful that you had friends that would allow you those free flowing electrons to to do the thing mm-hmm. with us, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, uh, there's so many subjects you and I talked about earlier that we didn't even get to touch on. We do need to do another one.
0: We need to because you, you are a, a very fascinating human being. I <laughs> truly <laughs> enjoy your presence. Uh, thank you. Right. Uh, so, yeah. cool. Um, I guess, uh, well, hell, man. we're going to pick this back up. Yeah. Now, uh, I usually ask this question. Are you going to be at the SEMA show this year? I think we've talked about that. Um, I only, most likely
1: only if, uh, Firestone, uh, Firestone Industrial, I actually direct, I communicate directly with those guys and they came out and asked me if they shape their booth a specific way, if I would be a guest in their booth, um, to where I had nothing
0: to do with the design of that booth. So if you're thinking it's that shape, no,
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 um they just, they wanted me to just be a presence to be able to answer people's questions so if that happens most likely yes if not um I probably won't go because um I'll probably rather work on the book trying to get it finished up if it's not done by that time so yeah I don't know if I'll be at SEMA or not but um are you hoping for another hug and a high five
0: well, I, I was mm-hmm. always hoping for that because, you know, we, we, we did the whole badge buddy thing that year. Yeah. That was awesome, and it always holds a place in my heart. And if you do make it out there, I'm going to invite you along to play a very special game. Uh, we every, It became a thing last year where we play uh, a nice game of Go Fish using those escort cards that they hand out <laughs> on the street.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, it'd be fun to have you along. You know, it's it's a good evening of um. Maybe I'll make it out for
1: one night then. Heck yeah!
0: (laughs) There you go. The invitation is open. We will do.
1: For an erotic,
0: uh, erotic go fish. We will play escort card go fish, which sounds really great if you say it like that. (laughs) With a French accent, that'd be awesome. What would yes. we call it go trash, oh, go trash, yes, yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> were you there that one year when they had a uh, they had a box van, but they'd got the box off the back and just had a really narrow glass window, and they had strippers dancing in the box van yes. while they were driving by the show
2: <laughs> um, well they they used to drive those up and down uh, the Las Vegas strip, really, and there were so many yeah, there were so many accidents um from other cars around that uh, they actually ended up passing along against them.
1: Oh wow!
0: I think, that, I think that lasted about six months.
1: <laughs> wonder how that law reads.
0: I just <laughs> wonder if it's one of those laws that's named for the person that got injured in one of the wrecks, where it's like <laughs> Jimbo's law, the, the Stubsky law, Crystal's law. <laughs> law. <laughs> oh, sorry. oh, come on! <laughs> really? Uh, my my hey, people you, have you suffered enough. Off, you
1: started off with a. Uh with like a Neil deGrasse Tyson joke. I need to finish off with a stubsky joke.
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough, man. It's balancing the universe once more. That's great. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, thank uh, you again, sir. I appreciate you being here, man.
1: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, you guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All all right. Thank you, sir, very much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You guys have a
0: wonderful evening. You too, man. We'll talk yeah. to you all yeah. soon. Alright, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, well, thanks to our our, our friend and our guest, Max Fish, for his time and insight this evening. And, uh, well, as always, I'm Brian. I'm still Brad. I'm Alex. I'm Eric. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening. And be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to... We invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com.